Hey guys, how's it going? This is Dan Schultz, and this is episode 94 of the Basketball Dan podcast. Been about a week and a half since I've done one, uh, so I'm trying to be better about doing these in a more timely manner and not letting so much time pass between the two. First topic I wanted to talk about was all the reactions this past week and a half to Kobe Bryant suddenly passing away with his daughter Gianna and seven others. There were a lot of really, really great tributes. Like I saw like Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and all the NBA players and uh, LeBron James and everything like that. It's been it's been a really interesting last 10 days or so where or technically nine days since the accident. But it's been very interesting to see how everyone has reacted to this, not just in the NBA world, but the pop culture world. This is a huge event that happened. And there's been a lot written, a lot said. But for the most part, I've liked everything that I've seen so far. And all the cool behind-the-scenes videos that NBA players and other personalities were dropping, whether it was the, like with them with Kobe and stuff like that, and it, it was it was really cool. It's been it's been cool to see that and and the the tribute sense. The only part that's really annoyed me about this entire thing, I actually think uh, people overall have done a very good job. Uh, also remembering the seven other people on board and not just making this about Kobe and Gianna uh, and not forgetting that there were seven lives that were, that were also lost. I think for the most part, everyone has done a very good job recognizing that as well. And the tragedy that lies there within the only thing that's really annoyed me during this entire thing is I've seen stuff on social media and, and whatever, this is going to happen regardless, but I've seen, a lot of things on social media of like people complaining like, oh, just because, you know, he dribbled a basketball, like that doesn't make his life more important than the other people on board. Like, what about the other people on board? They were just as important, blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm just befuddled by that because it's like everything that I've seen overall has been very, very good about recognizing those other people that were on board the helicopter and not just highlighting Kobe and Gianna, although they obviously are uh, more well-known than the seven other people. But it's, it just goes to show that people will complain about anything regardless of the situation, even if it's from my perspective, and I've been following it extensively and closely, even if, even if it's been very well covered and, and done in a very tasteful way. So, But there's always going to be people that try to take an angle of negativity or oh, well, he just drilled a basketball. What's the big deal? Like stupid crap like that. I, I can't stand those those kinds of people. But, um, you know, I've seen comments like that, but not not as frequent uh, as I, I feared, I guess. But overall, I think the reactions have been very cool. And um, you can make a case that Kobe dying in that helicopter crash is the saddest day in sports history. I mean, it's it's up there. It's definitely up there for sure. So it'll be very interesting to see how the tributes continue and um, 
just just how how the rest of the season unfolds and how the NBA plans to continue to honor the life of Kobe and uh, and and Gianna as well and and the seven other people obviously. Um, so yeah, that's that. I wanted to say say what I said about that. The next topic. And I, I've been harping on this for a year. Some on this podcast, but mostly to my friends who are NBA fans and all, all this stuff. And this is going to come across as like pretty, I don't want to say brazen, but just I, I know that I'm going to be seen as maybe in the minority here because of the legendary status of, uh, of Greg Popovich, who I still consider to be arguably the greatest coach of all time, given what he's done with, he's had way, he's done way more with way less when you compare him to coaches like Phil Jackson and uh, Pat Riley and all that stuff. Like not, not trying to take shots at those coaches, but to be in a tiny market of San Antonio with no advantages at your disposal uh, outside of pedigree and, and developing players and attracting veterans that way. I mean, and that's not easy to do. Pop has done a remarkable job overall during his career. But with that said, there's a lot of rumors and speculation out there that he is going to retire at the end of the season. He's going to coach Team USA in the Olympics and then call call it a career, which makes total sense. However, if this is to happen and he is not the coach of the Spurs for the next, say, few seasons after this, and say the Spurs either miss the playoffs entirely or make it as a late seed at best, seventh or eighth seed. I firmly believe, and again, I know it's I, whatever, you know, I'm a writer in Delaware, right? I mean, who am I to be questioning that? But this is just this is just what I've been feeling the past couple seasons ever since they traded uh, Kawhi Leonard. Granted, that wasn't their fault. They did everything right. And then Kawhi screwed that up and went about it in the worst way, tanking his trade value and all that. So I don't want to completely put 100% of the blame on them because, let's face it, if Kawhi was still on the Spurs, they would still be a contender. I think the Spurs, from a drafting angle and scouting angle and development, developmental angle up until that point, did basically everything right. And I, I still believe firmly. And it's not just me being a homer, and I'm not going to get into it again, but I, I don't think they did anything wrong if you look at with the Kawhi thing, if you look at the timeline and not what the media is telling you and pitching the sexy angle of historic franchise messes up, if you look at the timeline, Kawhi had full control of his medical situation in August of 2017. He complained that the Spurs misdiagnosed him like four months later. If you think they misdiagnosed you, you have full control of your medical situation. You can go anywhere else you want. And it became very clear that he just wanted out of San Antonio and to... Uh, be in a bigger market because that's what his uncle and his group is pitching to him. And that's eventually what happened. He, he winded up with the Clippers. But anyway, not trying to talk about that. The last couple of seasons, though, I firmly believe if Pop retires at the end of the season, he has held the Spurs back for these past two years. I do not understand, and I've talked about this before, and I don't want to go really deep into this, but I will never, ever understand these last two seasons of holding on to DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, two good players who I like a lot. But we all know they are mid-range shooters. In a day and age where the NBA is all about layups and three-pointers. I don't know what if Pop was trying to go for this grit and grind Grizzlies style, like, you know, when 
Marcus Sol and Zach Randolph were playing for the Grizzlies and they were just pounding it down low to those guys when a lot of teams were starting to shoot more threes and it kind of worked, but they didn't get super far. I don't, I don't know if he's that whole against the grain angle is, is what pop is trying to go for. But if, if LaMarcus and DeMar were younger and in their early twenties, I'd say stay the course and develop them. And maybe both of them can add a three point shot to their arsenal. LaMarcus is finally taking threes this season and, I don't know why it took him this long to take threes. Personally, he's always been a long, long two kind of mid-range shooter. DeRozan's been more kind of in the middle, around the free throw line, all that. I don't know why it took LaMarcus this long to start taking threes. But the fact is, LaMarcus is 34 years old. DeMar is 30. I don't understand why we are now halfway through the season. And I said this last year. I've been on this train for over a year where my angle was DeMar and LaMarcus are not getting any younger. Their trade values are never going to be higher, especially around this time a year ago when DeMar still had another year in his contract and LaMarcus had a, a team option that was eventually picked up by the Spurs this, fall, this past summer. I don't understand what the game plan is here. This team is a first-round exit at best. They were a first-round exit last year. Granted, they took the Nuggets to seven games but still lost. Their ceiling is, for this season, as I see it, is the same exact thing. Why are we holding on to two mid-range shooters in their 30s who, are, who they are at this point? They're not going to really add anything to their game. I mean, DeMar is just not going to take threes at this point. And you need, shooter, you need shooters and, and three-point shooters, especially the bulk of your offense or the, the two guys that are shouldering your offense. You need... In today's NBA, you need them to take more threes, and that's not happening, and that's a big reason why San Antonio is not in the playoffs. They're not in the playoffs right now. That could change, but I don't see them getting any anything higher than the seventh or eighth seed, and I think it's just Pop being stubborn. I don't. I, I think he's just kind of like whatever, uh, you know, this is my final season or whatever, uh, final couple seasons. You know, I don't want to go through a rebuild. I want to stay competitive, but the irony is they're not even competitive. They're a late seed. They're a first-round exit. I just, like, my whole thing is, why don't you just trade DeMar and LaMarcus for picks and prospects? Even if it's not a huge return or whatever. Like, if anything, it opens up more playing time for the younger players to develop. You know, and you you still would probably hold on to veterans like Patty Mills and Bellinelli or whatever that could still uh, serve as voices of leadership in the locker room. But I just don't get why they are not making, like, why... for the past year, they have just stood pat with this average team at best that is not going to compete for a championship. And their two best players are in their 30s and play a way different style of basketball than most of players in the NBA. I just, I, I, I don't get it. And it's been super frustrating because I love this team, but I have been extremely frustrated with, with Pop this last couple, these last couple of years where it's like, Dude, we're not even competitive. We're, we're an okay team at best, and we're going to be a first-round exit. Everyone knows this. And, and now they might not even get into the playoffs this year. And they might also, on top of that, lose DeMar DeRozan, who's a free agent this summer. So you, might, you run the risk of, by not trading him, getting literally nothing out of him, like just letting him walk or whatever. So I, I, I am very – you know, whatever. I've been a spoiled Spurs fan all my life. I get that. But I am just – not happy with how 
the front office has stood pat and is doing nothing and is making no trades. Maybe they'll make trades. You know, the NBA trade deadline is coming up. But I am, I am not happy with the way uh, they have just st- stood with this team the last couple of years. This team is not good. Get younger players. Get picks. Let's start the rebuild. And uh, anyway, that's enough about that. Another team that's going through similar frustrations is the uh, the Sixers, who are currently the sixth seed out east. A lot of people, I, I think the the fire Brett Brown thing is growing more and more. Uh, like, let's put it this way: if Brett Brown doesn't get this Sixers team to at least the Eastern Conference Finals, I think he's out of there. The catches, you, I don't really know who else is out there. I mean, I'm sure there's some assistant coach. The way this works is always like some assistant coach gets attached to uh, or like, you know, a, a team has a good season and the assistant coach of that team gets a lot of credit and gets a lot of buzz and all that stuff. Maybe you go that route. I don't know. Um, you know, I personally would love Jeff Van Gundy to be the next coach if the Sixers decide to fire Brett Brown, but I don't think you're getting him to leave the booth anytime soon. But yeah, the Sixers' struggles have definitely been surprising. And, um, you know, the fact that Ben Simmons is still not shooting three-pointers and n- not even really attempting mid-range shots, it's just – he needs someone to, to – I, I don't want to say yell at him, but he's got to have some kind of person to motivate him to start shooting the basketball because this team is not – as long as he remains terrified to shoot the ball – it throws off everything with the Sixers spacing. And it's just like you, a point guard that can't shoot the ball in today's NBA. It's just not going to work long term. It will only get you so far. So I, I completely understand the frustrations with the Sixers right now. Um, granted, Joel Embiid was hurt for a little bit, but there's a lot of buzz right now about Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and if they can coexist. And, you know, it's clear Ben Simmons plays a lot better when Joel Embiid is not in the lineup. And, um, yeah, I, this team is just kind of a mess right now, and it's been a very di- disappointing year for them. Uh, not saying they can't turn it around, but I, I, am, I, I, I get the Brett Brown, the frustrations with Brett Brown right now, 100%. And I said I will not be surprised. If, if the Sixers do not at least make the Eastern Conference Finals, I think he's fired. I think he's gone. Speaking of the Eastern Conference, there's some uh, rumblings that Clint Capella – of the Houston Rockets could be unmoved, which is a little surprising because I thought, I think he's a really good center. He's averaging like 14 points, 14 rebounds, a couple blocks a game, like take smart shots. I don't know if it's like the Houston Rockets obsession with going smaller and smaller where it's just shooters everywhere or what, or maybe they're concerned about Clint Capella's uh, injury history. But if he's on the block and I'm an NBA, I, I say go get him. I mean, he's still a valuable piece. Granted, he doesn't really space the floor or anything, but you still need guys in today's NBA that are enforcer types that get a ton of rebounds and uh, set the tone as a defensive anchor. And that's the kind of player Capella has become. So the Celtics and the Hawks have been rumored to be interested in him. I won't be surprised if the Celtics swoop in. Danny Ainge is obviously a great GM, has done a great job there. So that'll be an interesting story. The NBA trade deadline is this Thursday. So it's a fun, exciting time for NBA fans to kind of see all the rumors and all the speculation about who's on the move and all that. And um, I think Capella is the biggest name I've seen so far that could be on the move. So we keep an eye on that.
Another story coming out of Memphis is uh, Andre Iguodala, who was traded to Memphis during the summer, has sat out this entire season, hasn't played. And um, he's made it clear he wants to either be bought out or traded to the Los Angeles Lakers or the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, Iguodala is a, is a, is a he, well, he used to be a great player. He's obviously done a good job accepting his player, his uh, uh, status as a role player, but that was until this last season where he's just basically been sitting out. And I get he's won rings. I get he's older and the the veteran status and respect that comes with that. But, like, I don't know. I think he should be playing. He's making millions of dollars to sit out, and he could be a mentor to the younger Grizzlies players as it it, it would serve as incentive for the Grizzlies to try to do what do the best thing for him if, if he would at least contribute in some capacity. And Dylan Brooks and John Moran actually both on Twitter took took shots at Iguodala saying like they hope he gets traded so that they, when they play him they can show him what he's been missing and all that. So I love that competitive spirit from both of those guys. And uh, it's clear Iguodala is never going to suit up in a Grizzlies uniform, but it it is a little disappointing. It's like I get your thirty, I I get you're older, I get you want to play for certain teams, and uh, there's a pedigree that comes with winning championships and being the kind of player Andre Iguodala is. But I never like when players do this kind of stuff where they sit out just because they're like, oh, this team is bad. I don't want to play for this bad team. I deserve to be playing for a good team. I deserve to get what I want. And that's just kind of the day and age of the NBA we live in right now, where players basically call the shots and have the power to sit out if they want. And it's definitely a problem that the league needs to address moving forward because I'm not saying uh, players aren't justified to do that in some cases, but it does seem to be really excessive now where as soon as anything that happens they don't like, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just get traded or like, you know, cause drama and try to get my way and all that. So. It'll be interesting to see if the Grizzlies can work out a deal and get Iguodala out of there. I don't see it happening, but uh, yeah, we'll just we'll have to see. So that's the podcast for today. Thanks as always for listening. This podcast is available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. If you could rate, review, and subscribe, I would really appreciate it. it only takes a second. And if you know anyone that would like that you think would like this podcast. Um, you know, pass it on. I said, just basketball, Dan. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. So as always, thanks for listening. And hopefully I'll be back soon. Maybe in a couple of days with all the NBA trades, I'll do one. Um, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll be back soon with another. Thanks. Bye.